0: This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. And if you want to turn there, we're going to begin with verse 40, 44. Uh, we're in a series about parables. And what we've looked at for the last couple of weeks is what the purpose of parables are. Now, the purpose of parables, we often think, when I grew up, thought that the purpose of a parable, that's right, if you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. If, yeah, sorry, they'll they run out of here as fast as they can. Um, you guys can head out to Kidmo. The purpose of parables, I always thought when I grew up, was that Jesus was trying to make it easy to understand his concepts, his teachings. And so whenever he would speak in a parable, what his goal was to take a complex idea and to make it simple so that you could grasp it. And the, po- the, the point that we would often get from these parables are things that would make sense. They would definitely be meaningful, but we may or may not truly grasp what Jesus is saying. But when Jesus explained the reason that he taught in parables, what he said was that I teach this way because some people who are listening and are watching will hear what I'm saying and they will understand my meaning. But if you're not paying attention, you will not understand what I'm saying or get my meaning. So as we look through parables, parables are not cute little stories that are trying to convey a bigger idea. The truth is, they are secret teachings of Jesus in which He is trying to show us something significant, but we have to be paying attention to be able to grasp it and to see it and to hear it. Now, we've looked so far, and the first parable we we looked at, we've looked at the parable of uh, Final Judgment. And the fact that we are going to be either in or out. There's no in between. Last week we looked at the parable of the sower and the fact that the gospel goes out. God liberally gives of his love for us. And when he liberally gives of his love for us, we can respond in a number of different ways. We could be many different soils, whether we are good soil in which the gospel grows within us, or we're shallow soil in which it sprouts up and then it dies, or if we get so enamored with everything else in the world that the weeds come up and choke it out of us. Today we're going to be looking at two parables that are really a single story, a single concept that he's trying to contribute to us, and as we do that, I want you to be thinking through your life. This simple, single question, what is most precious to you? What is most precious to you? What is that one thing in your life that you want to be a part of your life? That if everything else went away, if you had this one thing, you would be okay. Whenever we think about those most precious things, when you have a lot of things and when you aren't accustomed to loss, it's sometimes hard to determine, well, what is the one thing that is most important in my life? Sometimes an easy way to think about what is most precious to me is that in all of your possessions, if your house were to catch on fire and you could get one thing out, what would it be? And if you're single, then you may think of memories or investments or a laptop or something like that if you're married you're going to be thinking probably immediately of your spouse if you have kids you're going to be thinking of your kids if you have pets you're probably gonna be thinking of your pets but if they're all out what's the next thing that you have to get but even bigger than what happens if we lose our possessions is what is the most important thing in your life that you cannot live without And what Jesus says is, if we're going to, if you're going to know him, and you're going to walk with him, the only way that we can truly know Christ is if he takes that place of the most precious possession that we could possibly have. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, you're welcome to follow along. If you brought a Bible, you can follow along on you Version. Uh, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. As we look at these, these are perhaps the shortest parables that we're going to talk about, and yet they are incredibly rich in meaning. They're incredibly rich in what God is saying to us. And so as we get started here, I want you to pray with me again. And I want you to consider what is the most precious thing in your life today. Father, God, I thank you that we can come into this place without fear of persecution, without fear of anything happening to us. We can just come and we can worship freely. I thank you that we have the opportunity to challenge each other and to learn and grow deeper. I thank you for the opportunity to worship, to worship with others. And Father, I pray that as we walk through your word, I pray that you would help us to see and to hear and to understand what does it mean like to find the pearl of great price? What does it mean to find the hidden treasure? And how do we apply that to our lives today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go through this, I think one of the most pivotal understandings in these two parables is not necessarily the concept of value. Because the low-lying fruit in this parable is that this is all about value. This is all about, do you really value God? Do you really value Christ? Do you really value the gospel? Because if He's the most valuable thing to you, then you have found something of of great value that that can be yours. And that is the low-lying fruit because there is much more to this parable than just that. Although that is a part. I think a lot of times when we approach parables just based on, well, what is the meaning of the story, those are the types of things we walk out of, and whenever we, ever, we look at that and we say, okay, so the kingdom of God is a great, valuable, precious thing, and I should love it more than anything else. It's one of those teachings within the church that we tend to grasp and we try to say, yeah, well, that, that's the way it ought to be, but we don't necessarily fundamentally understand what he's saying to us. And so, as we begin looking at this, the part of value is not something that is so difficult to understand. It is, what is that hidden treasure? What is that pearl of great price? And as Matthew begins his parable, he begins by simply saying this, as Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew, says, "'The kingdom of heaven is like treasure.'" Now, when we look at the kingdom of heaven and you look through your Bible, if you've got a concordance or if you've, you want know, to look it up online, if you've got some kind of electronic Bible tool that you can search for all of the words that you can hope to ever find in Scripture, the kingdom of heaven is often used interchangeably, not just with the kingdom of heaven, but also the kingdom of God, also just with God. And the reason that many times in Scripture that we see this being used in different phrases is that there was a lot of hesitancy to actually utter the name of God when talking about value for fear that you would not give him the place of honor and glory that he deserves. And so when he begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven, he is literally talking not just about a place, not just about a presence, but something more. But if we understand what the kingdom of heaven is, it will completely change how you read this parable. And some of the ways that people have understood the kingdom, it, it, we find in different places. It, it's interesting, in the Gospels, you will find the kingdom of heaven mentioned 126 times. But in the rest of the New Testament combined, it's only mentioned 34 times. So in the Gospels, it's there a lot. There's a lot of talk about the kingdom. And you may or may not be tempted to understand the kingdom in one way or the other, but here are some common ways that we understand the kingdom. Number one, that the kingdom is a place. Now, it's easy to think about the kingdom as a place because Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, right? So, in other words, my kingdom exists somewhere. It just doesn't exist here. It's kind of, you know, in this parallel universe kind of sci-fi thing. We don't really understand it, but the kingdom is a place, right? We read about that in John chapter 18 when Jesus is before Pilate. It says, Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this out of your own accord, or did others say this about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this this world. And the reason this is so crucial in this forming of the gospel is because this is how the chief priest chose to get rid of Jesus. All of this area is controlled by Rome. And so the way that you get rid of somebody is go to a Roman official and say, hey, guess what? This guy says he's king of these people, not you. And so that's why Pilate asked him point blank this is the accusation made of you. Are you a king? And Jesus says, yes, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom is a place. We also understand the kingdom, when we read it through the New Testament, that the kingdom is a presence, that there's literally a kingdom that can be here among us, that we can experience, we can feel, we can be a part of. In Luke 17, it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, or behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, the kingdom of God is here. You, where you're sitting right now, when you leave this place, you go home and you go to work, the kingdom of God is around you. You can be a part of the kingdom. So the kingdom is a presence. But is this what Jesus is talking about in the parable of the hidden treasure or the pearl of great price? That this presence is the thing Of great value? Well, certainly we can see that that is a great value. But is that the greatest value? We also understand that the kingdom brings salvation to those who give up their life because of Christ's atonement, his sacrifice for us. This is where we begin to shift and understand that the kingdom has a cost, it is not just a blessing or a reward but there's a cost to it. In Galatians 3, 13 and 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This kingdom, this place that can also be all around us and we can experience the presence of bring salvation but only through the atonement of christ there is a cost for this kingdom so as jesus tells the parable and he ascribes a cost to this great treasure that can be found we find that the kingdom the cost is the death of jesus and the glory of jesus is his resurrection We understand the kingdom. There's a cost. There's a salvation that comes from that. When we think about the kingdom of God, we often think, well, we're the kingdom of God because we know Christ, because He has saved us. Scripture also goes on and talks about the kingdom in all kinds of different ways, both the here and the not yet. The present and the future. In other words, that kingdom is here now. And this is crucial for us to understand if we're going to follow Christ because the kingdom later means that we have to wait for it. And I honestly think many people struggle within their faith because their idea of the kingdom is, well, this is something that will happen later. I'm going to kind of do something now to purchase this thing that's coming later. And the way that we kind of figure that out in our theology and our minds and how do we follow Christ is I've got to say the right things and do the right things and pray the right way so that I can be saved because one day I am going to get to go to heaven, God's kingdom. Maybe that's the place. And so when we understand the kingdom, Jesus says well the kingdom is here, it's right here all around you right now. But at the same time, that kingdom is coming again and will not be completely fulfilled until Christ returns. So you can see the parable begins to get deeper and deeper as we think about, well, what is the object of great value, this kingdom? What really is it? We think about kingdom in the present. We think about the things that we receive because of Christ. This is why many of us follow Christ while we walk with him, how we have joy within our lives, the ability to love and to have joy, to forgive, to be able to look at our circumstances and not be overwhelmed by them, but to be able to keep going, to know that Christ walks with us, that we can pray. And he says, as you pray and have faith, I will be at work in the world around you. We have not only the forgiveness of Christ, but the ability to forgive others. We're accepted by God the Father. We're no longer condemned. He's no longer sitting or waiting for our judgment, yet we are forgiven. We have the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives, to be given a spiritual gift in which we can go out and do something for the body of Christ, and we can spread the borders of the kingdom that is not just a place, and it's not just a presence, and it's not just right now, and that's not just later, but it's so much more than all of this. That's what we experience now. And yet he says there's so much more that's coming later, which is honestly hard for us to understand Scripture says that this is the time that we're going to be perfected. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be any heartache. There's not going to be any pain. There's going to be joy. There's going to be worship. There's going to be the glorification of the Father. It's something that you and I, we cannot understand. But we know it's coming. Then we also find in Scripture that the kingdom is literally God's reign the kingdom is god's reign psalm 103 19 says the lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all so not only is it a place and a presence not only is it something that's happening now but later not only is it offering us salvation and purchased through the blood of christ but The kingdom of God, this pearl of great price, this hidden treasure that this person was willing to go sell everything he had, give up everything he owned so he could have this one thing is a reign of God within their lives. That's honestly one of the most difficult things for people to receive when they want to follow Christ. For me, it was not hard. If you believe that there's a heaven and you believe that there's a hell, there's not much of a decision there, is there? (laughs) I mean, you can either have, you know, perfection and love and joy and everything or eternal torment. I will take, I'll take door A. (laughs) I really don't want door B. But yet when it comes to saying I will submit my life to Christ then the rub begins to increase I'm not sure that I'm willing to submit to God's reign I'm not sure I'm willing to not look out for what I want in life I'm not sure that I'm willing to live this life in a way that I don't get to be in charge of everything because something in us feels like we should be in charge and most of the messages that you receive outside of your faith are saying the world is about you And so it's easy to walk away and say, I just don't know that I can do this. I mean, look at God's reign. This is one of the things that I find great comfort in. And those that I know that passionately love Jesus find comfort in God's reign in their life. This is why. Because one, God's reign is redemptive. It's redemptive. John 10, 10, 11 says, The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but i came that they may have life and have it abundantly i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep we were dead in our sin we were dead in the depravity that lives in every one of us and yet he gave his life so that we could be healed we could be whole and we could truly live life god's reign is not just redemptive But God's reign requires submission and repentance. Again, this is where it gets difficult for those who still want to be in charge of their lives. Matthew 16 says, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give and return for his soul? Have you ever embarked on a journey, whether it be a career, whether it be a way of life, whether it be a new hobby or a way of just viewing the world in which you followed it down to its logical conclusion and you found that it disappointed you? It wasn't what you thought it was going to be? I'd say all of us have done that. All of us have tried things within our lives and we thought, this is the thing. This is, the, this is going to be great. And then we kind of get there and realize it's not so great. It's not exactly what I thought it would be. It's not what I hoped for. Jesus says if we're going to save this life, we have to give it up. I'll tell you, that is not an easy message to share with people that believe that life is about getting everything out of it that they can. You've got to give that up. You've got to die to that. Well, I don't want to die to that. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, God is supposed to kind of give me all those things that I don't have. Jesus says, but you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to pick up your cross and carry it. You've got to die to all of that stuff. But if you do then you will live in a way that was never possible before. So the kingdom being God's reign, that it not only has more meaning, but there we see there is a cost for us as well. Whenever we look at the gospel is just that way to get into heaven, What we are literally doing is just saying, oh, it's a free thing that I get and we will often just take it and stick it in our back pocket for when we need it. Following Jesus is what I do when things aren't going right. Following Jesus is what I do when my way doesn't work out. Following Jesus is what I do when I'm hurting. Following Jesus is what I do whenever I don't feel like things are going well and I need him to rescue me. Following Jesus is what I do when I don't have something else going on and it's easy when we see that all we have to do is just accept God's free gift of grace and you know what I I just now have to hang out here until I die or until Jesus comes back and there are so many people that are just waiting to die and waiting for Jesus to come back and they've never experienced the kingdom that is now and later that is a place and a presence in and among us and so we come back and understand that god's reign does have a cost but god's reign also brings his very best to us i'll be honest i'm a bit of a selfish christian i know you all aren't i am (laughs) i want all the good stuff right I don't want to miss out on anything. I don't have a whole lot of fears. But one of my anxieties is I'm going to miss something good. Does anybody else have that problem? Like you're constantly scanning the horizon just to make sure you don't miss something good. I don't want to miss anything good. And we understand what God is offering us, what God wants to do within our lives. We understand that He is literally bringing His very best to us which is far better than my very best. Romans eight twenty eight says, "...we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. When we look at the kingdom in the sense of God wants reign over us, then this is the kingdom that is the greatest treasure. We look back and we understand that God is not just wanting to offer us hope in heaven. He's wanting to take over our lives now. Now that doesn't mean that if you're a new Christian that you've got to be perfect at this because I'm not a new Christian and I'm not perfect at this. It is a constant challenge within my life of God showing me there's an area that you keep taking control of. You keep holding it tight to the chest and then it's a process of me letting go of that. I still have to do that all the time. And my guess is many of you, if not all of you, have to do that all the time too. It's not about us perfectly giving up and we just sit and wait for God's instructions, but instead it is us constantly following Him and understanding there is more He is calling me to if I will let go of the control of my life and just follow Him. This is where Scripture becomes precious to us. You know, If we were to sit down and say, well, what what does it mean to be a good Christian? Does it mean you're a good Christian if you go to church every week? Does it mean you're a good Christian if you read your Bible every day? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The truth is is that if you read your Bible every day because I guilt you into it, then you're not getting anything out of it other than, well, at least I make Mark happy. And I got to tell you, I like being happy, but that's not really a good enough motivation. (laughs) Whenever we love what God is doing in our life and when we are giving Him increased reign over our life, His Word becomes precious to us and we need to know it so that we can follow it because we recognize what God is doing is giving us His very best. A few months ago, we talked about our shadow mission. You remember that? Our shadow mission is that way of living life that is divergent from what God had intended for you. It's that false self. We have a true self in which God is at work and alive in you and the way that he initially created you apart from sin. There is the true self that you are meant to be in Christ. There is the false self of us trying to figure it out on our way to make this life what we want it. And our shadow mission takes us away from that. Whenever we attend church because we have to, whenever we read Scripture because I have to, then we miss becoming the true self. But when you understand that Jesus loves me, He has what's best for me at, at His heart and is going to direct and lead me to that, even if that means that is going to be hard and it's going to be... it's going to have all kinds of pain and difficulty and suffering in it. That's what I want because he's trying to take me somewhere I would never go on my own. And where he wants to take me is far better than where I want to take myself. So when we understand this kingdom in this way, the greatest treasure is giving him control, reign of our lives. And we experience all these other things together. That leads us to kind of a basic question. Well, how do you take possession of this treasure? Jim Elliott, a missionary who gave his life taking the gospel to a group of people that did not understand at all what he was there to do, said... He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And for Jim Elliot, he gave his life for sharing the gospel with someone that ultimately would take his. If you're not familiar with the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Elizabeth then went to that same tribe that took her husband's life to share the gospel, and it took hold in that place and spread. It's an amazing testimony of saying, I value something beyond my own life. There is something more precious than a few days of breathing air in this world. And he went. Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. This kingdom that is available to us, it's, it's here. A man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. The sense is that he's taking everything he has, everything he's earned, everything he's gained, everything he's hoarded, he's taking it all, and he's giving it up because he's found something better. So what is the message in all of this? What is the message in this parable of the hidden treasure or the pearl of great price? One, the low-lying fruit. Even if we lose everything in this world, the kingdom of God, which we understand of as the reign of Christ in our lives, is the greatest possession that we could ever have. That is one of the primary messages that you could have gotten by sleeping in this morning and just opening your Bible and reading it for yourself today. That is a primary message. Even if we lose everything in the world, the kingdom of God, His reign in our lives, is the greatest possession that we could ever have. This is God working in us, forgiving us, restoring us. This is that we are never living life alone, that we have purpose in this life, that we get to walk with Him, hear from Him. We get to experience Him, and not just here, but for all eternity. That is better than anything I can get in this life. So we do see the value of the kingdom And I will tell you that if you think, oh, that is just so easy to understand, I'm going to tell you, the rest of the world doesn't believe that that's easy to understand because they reject it. This is something only people who know Christ truly understand its great value because everyone thinks it's not worth anything. There's a second message too. And that is that the greatest treasure is only available to those who value it above all other things. This is where I read Scripture and I go, oh, I'm a terrible Christian. Do y'all ever do that? No? Okay, great. (laughs) Just me. I read that and I'm like, I I got some stuff I really like. I mean, I got some stuff I don't even have yet, but I'm thinking about it and I'm wanting to get it. I've I've found a way to talk to Deidre about those things. I got to start slow, and I, she she calls it whittling away. That's not what I call it, but that's what she calls it. I whittle away until she gives in and lets me go get it. Y'all, you know, does anybody else have that problem? You know, you wives have husbands like that. Just me. I, I'm the worst person in the room. I'm the last person to be talking right now, clearly because you guys have this together and I am—I need somebody to share the gospel with me. But I do read it and I think, gosh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I can say that I could give up everything else but this. Then I read where Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, you know what, everything's going to be demanded from you, including your life. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to walk through it. So there are times in which you're going to go through life and you're going to have all kinds of possessions. Some of you can't wait to get back out into your car or your bike, Go on vacation. Some of you are thinking about getting a boat and inviting the pastor and his family over. (laughs) And I'll just say, do it, do it. Especially that last one. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the thing that drives you and motivates you and says, this is what I'm about and this is where I'm going and this is where I will spend my time and this is where I will spend my resources. Are you constantly coming back to the kingdom? See, if you follow him long enough, what you will find is that these things, even though they're wonderful, they honestly do disappoint. They're honestly not enough. The things that we value most will determine our priorities, our commitments, and our values. And so we have to know what is most important to me. What is the thing that I think is the most valuable to me? If it's your family, which your family is valuable, far more than any possession that you could have outside of Christ, it is valuable. And some would even say, listen, if I had to choose between Christ and my family, I, I, I would have to choose my family. And this is where Jesus said, listen, if you love even your family more than me, You can't follow me. See, Jesus, we like to paint the picture of the good shepherd with the long flowing hair that slowly walks, kind of floats over the ground, and he's just hugging kids and kissing babies. But if you want to be challenged in your faith, read the letters in red in your Bible, and Jesus is like a dagger through your heart. And this picture that Jesus is all about grace and compassion, and I just don't want you all to feel bad. Clearly, you've never read Jesus' words. (laughs) Because He says, listen, if you love your father or mother more than me, you can't love me. And I read that and I think, gosh, that's so harsh. But if it's family... Because the things we value most determine our priorities, our commitments, and our values, you will spend all your available time and resources on your family. If you're going to invest in something other than Christ, that let that be it. However, if you put it all there and have none for Christ, then your family is in that place that only Jesus should be. For a lot of people, experiences are really the thing that they're, they're looking for out of life. That's their most treasured possession are their experiences. And the thing is, if you're that person that you're just trying to rack up as many experiences and life as you can, then you will never commit to anything because an experience that has been had is in the past and your future is in all the experiences that you've not experienced yet. And that's where you'll put your time and your priorities and your motives and your drives. will all be about the next experience. Happiness is one that a lot of us would probably say, you know, my most treasured possession is happiness. But if happiness is your primary drive, your primary drive is to be happy in life, then you are going to spend your life trying to avoid any type of pain that you could possibly experience. And that means you will never say no when you need to say no. That means you will never hold someone else accountable when you need to hold somebody accountable. That means you will never take a risk that has something beautiful at the other end of it because the risk may also have unhappiness attached to it. When happiness is our greatest value, our greatest prize within our life, then we will look at unhappiness as the greatest indication that we are failures at life. And I've yet to find a person that never experiences unhappiness. Never found it. Happiness cannot hold that place of the greatest treasure for our lives. In fact, Scripture tells us that happiness can sometimes be an obstacle to finding greater things in life. Sometimes the greatest things are at the other end of difficulty, suffering, pain, hardship. If your children are the greatest treasure of your life, you will spend your entire young adulthood on your children, making them the center of the universe. And that's just not a good message for them to get One. (laughs) And two, they can't sustain you. Your children cannot sustain you. Your need for them to provide you happiness and value and worth, you will be disappointed. They will not be able to measure up to the level that you need from them, and they will feel it. And eventually they'll start walking away, and you'll go, what? I don't get it. And, and they've just been smothered to death because they, you just need them to provide for you your greatest meaning in life. Your children cannot provide your greatest meaning in life. And what you'll end up doing is you'll make sure they're never unhappy. Because if they're unhappy, then you're unhappy because they're not providing you with that fullness that you're hoping for. Sometimes you've got to make your children unhappy for them to grow, just like sometimes God has to make us unhappy so we will grow. Our children cannot be that thing. For some, maybe it's success. Gosh, if I can just get to whatever level of success, if I can just, you know, if our church can just get to so many people every Sunday morning, then I will feel good about my life. Or if my business will have so many people that are or writing checks to me, and I just have to spend so many hours a week working, then listen, I have reached success. You will chase success for the rest of your life, and if that is the thing you chase, it will always elude you because there's always something more that you don't have. There's all kinds of things that we can put into that place, and I don't know what yours is, and I would encourage you over this week to spend some time figuring out what that is. The kingdom of God cannot just be something that we tuck in our pocket that we pull out when we need it. We've messed up and we, we feel bad or when we're hurting and we want some comfort or we're discouraged and we need some encouragement. We just don't know what to do and we finally turn to God to see what He says about it. Listen, that's never a bad thing, by the way. But over time, you should learn to go there First. For many, that is what the kingdom of God is. God's reign in their life is very uncomfortable, except in great emergencies. But that's what Jesus is saying. The prize of the kingdom is far better than that. Paul says it like this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. the resurrection from the dead. That is an indication of great value of the kingdom in his life. I can't say that I feel this way all the time. I bet Paul didn't feel this way all the time either. But you should be constantly drawn back to this place that everything else pales in comparison to knowing and walking with Christ, letting him have reign in your lives. Whenever we have this treasure within us, one of the reasons that I continue to follow all these years after first experiencing how incredible He is is that I find new joy in life outside of wherever I thought I would. Whenever we have this treasure, it's not just the hope of heaven one day, but it's the joy in living life with other believers. It's the joy of serving together. It's the ability to talk about what's going on in our lives and sharing what God is doing in us. It's the ability to go through something hard that is breaking us at our core and yet we are just excited about how we are growing. It's the ability to experience comfort in the midst of great heartache and people look at you and say, how are you dealing with this? I got Jesus. This is nothing. It's the hope of what's coming, the hope of what's here now. It changes us. It changes the way we see. This is where, you know, we talk about reading Scripture. I just, I harp on that because there's no greater tool to grow than through His Word that He's presented to us. But if you have to, it's just like tithing. And the New Testament tells us, listen, if you can't cheerfully give, don't give. Which most pastors won't say. And, you know, if you're thinking about not giving today, ignore what I just said. But, honestly... If you are going to give out of compulsion, out of guilt, and out of obligation, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. If we read Scripture out of obligation or guilt, it's meaningless. We won't ever approach it and say, oh, open up the truths of eternity to me. We'll just be like, oh, i got to get through this. Oh, that was a cool story. That was interesting but it won't transform us. But it's in that transformation that we find life and we find, oh, it is so good to walk with Jesus. Your worship changes. From, oh, that's I love that song. Oh, I just have to praise my Savior. I just want Him to know how much I love Him. It just changes everything about us. Let me ask you these questions, and I want to close by reading one, one last thing to you. This hidden treasure that you would give up everything for, what's in that place in your heart? You'll have to think about it. You may need other people to talk you through it, to figure it out. We're usually the last people to figure it out for ourselves. Usually other people see it in us first. Alternatively, what do you need to give up right now? What is holding a place, a priority for you that is not leading you to something better? That is not leading you to giving Christ more reign in your life? What needs to be given up? See, These are the things that we love more than Christ and they are getting our lives askew. We are embarked in a shadow mission at this point. We're not headed where God is calling us because we put something else in the place that only He can occupy. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote of the kind of grace that we have, this treasure that's hidden in the field, and he compares it a costly grace and cheap grace. Cheap graces. Doesn't require anything of any cost. We just get it. It's just like, oh, life's good. Oh, I can have that too. Great. Costly grace means that that grace costs something. This is what he said. This is what I'm going to close with. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, for which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. "'Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, "'and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. "'It is costly because it costs a man his life, "'and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. "'It is costly because it condemns sin, "'and grace because it justifies the sinner. "'Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. "'You were bought at a price.'" And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So as we walk out of here, you may walk out of here in joy and worship and knowing that this is where God, this is the place God holds in your life. And you may walk out of fear just indifferent, as in, I'm not really concerned. You also may be walking out of here thinking, I need to fix this. this. I know what is driving me. It is the need to be loved. It is the need to be recognized. Sometimes it is the need for others to see how bad I have it, and I need to be a victim It is the need for others to look at me and put me up on a pedestal and say how awesome I am. could be any number of things. Those things have to be knocked off of that place where only Christ can hold. And I want to encourage you that it is His grace that is freely offering to meet us where we are if we will give Him that place. No matter where you are this morning, God has something for you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that this great treasure has been made available to us through Christ. I thank you that even when we fail and even if we can't live up to what we perceive as being able to pay for it, you've never required us to pay for it. Christ has paid for this type of grace. Father, I pray that you would give us an incredible amount of of introspection and reflection within our own lives to see what am i holding up in the place of most importance in my life and how do we give you that place i pray that we would begin today as we continue to read through your word that we will it will be precious to us to hear what you say to follow what you teach and to experience the holy spirit within us as we do it i pray for those that are here today and enjoy and worship have put you in that place and we can see the testimony within their lives as they continue to follow you. Let us be encouraged by that, and let us be joyful that we are experiencing what you have promised. For those who are struggling, they know they have something else in that place. I I pray that you would bring them to just a, a point of brokenness to say, I give up those drives, those desires, those goals, so that only you can hold that place for those who are indignant and just are happy with the way things are. Lord, I pray you will show them the incredibly wonderful blessing of walking with you and giving you reign of our lives. Let them see what they are missing and help us to share and be motivated to tell our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers how great a gift it is to know Christ. Father, as we continue to worship, Hear the worship from our lips because you are our greatest treasure. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.